the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. So we need to get balanced on this subject, and the, the reality is that God blesses people so that we might be a blessing. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who have an orphan mentality. And by that, I mean kind of the clenched fist. I never had much, so I'm going to grab all I can get. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to keep a clenched hand, and nobody's going to get anything. And God will not bless a clenched hand. What He wants of us is an open hand. Because the more we're generous, the more the open hand receives from God. And then we're generous, and then He blesses, and then we're generous. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick, of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Genesis. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching series through the book of Genesis, he'll be reminding us that God hasn't blessed us simply so that we can keep the blessing for ourselves. The Lord has given each one of us certain material blessings, financial and spiritual gifts that he wants us to use to bless others with. If you've been blessed with a gift of teaching, He wants you to bless others with that gift. If He's blessed you with extra time that's available to you that many others may not have, He wants you to use that time to serve others. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message entitled, A Calling and a Blessing. Here's why he's doing this. Not to justify it. He's he's lying here, he's deceptive, and he's very self-centered in what's going on here. But you need to understand the culture to understand why he's doing this. Pharaoh's obviously the most powerful man on the earth at this particular time. He's got a harem of a lot of women, and he loves beautiful women. That's kind of how they get into a harem. But the problem is, if you were a married woman, well, they wouldn't take you into the harem because you're a married woman. You're, you belong to another man. They respected marriage, but they didn't really respect life. And here's how it would go. If you're a beautiful woman and you're married, Pharaoh would say, oh, well, that's too bad. You're, you're married. I'd love to have you into my harem, but seeing as you're married, hmm, unless, unless it just so happens that your husband meets a very unfortunate, untimely death, and then suddenly you'd be available. Now, that's the way the culture was. They, didn't, they respected marriage, but they didn't respect life. So if she were married and Pharaoh wanted her into the harem, he just killed the husband. Abram knows this. So he says to Sarai, he says, you better tell him that you're my sister. Now, it's a half-truth. <laughs> it is. But how many of you know a half-truth is a full lie? You're calling up your boss and you're like, eh, I'm really sick. 
Yeah, well, what you mean is you're sick of him or her. You know, I'm really sick. That's a half-truth, but that's a lie. I can't come in today. I'm really sick. (laughs) So, I mean, telling a half-truth is a lie. Abram tells a half-truth. It's a lie. And what is he saying it for? Because he wants to preserve his own hide. He doesn't want to get killed. So he doesn't even... Can you imagine this? He doesn't even defend the honor of his wife. She's beautiful, but he says, you know, okay, I'm sorry. Pharaoh's going to take her into his harem. He's going to use her, take advantage of her for his pleasure. Abram's just kicking her to the curb. He has no real regard for her, very self-centered, and he's lying about this. He's lying about this. Now, interesting point here to note, by the way. Bible tells us Abram is 75. We know that she's 10 years younger. That means she's 65 and very beautiful. She's 65. Very beautiful. Now, you know what's more remarkable than that? 25 years later, you don't need to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 20, a similar thing happens. This time, it's not Pharaoh of Egypt. It's King Abimelech of the Philistines. Abram doesn't learn from this. He tells his wife again to lie in Genesis chapter 20 because the king of the Philistines, Abimelech, is going to kill me. Say that you're my sister. Say you're my sister so I won't die. He doesn't learn his lesson. What's remarkable, though, Genesis 20 is 25 years after this story. She's 90. She's 90 years old and hot. I mean, he doesn't have a lot, Abram doesn't have a lot going for him, but he's got a hot wife here. How many, how many 90-year-old grandmothers do you know who can say, overlook the walker, I'm hot? <laughs> wow. But, but anyway, that's what he's got here. Very beautiful wife, and he knows it, so he's just lying. He's lying, and he's self-centered. And God has to intervene in this story in Genesis chapter 12, because Abram doesn't have enough chutzpah to be able to, I'm not sure what that means, maybe that's bad. Uh... He, I, I, I just realized that's kind of a, a Jewish expression, but I don't even know what that means. But anyhow, he doesn't have enough courage to be able to say this is wrong and defend his wife's honor. And so God has to intervene. Look at how the story goes in verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Now, the Bible doesn't say what kind of diseases were inflicted, and the Bible doesn't say how exactly Pharaoh connected the dots, but God revealed it to him somehow, and Pharaoh made the association. I'm afflicted with these diseases because I've got a married woman in my harem. This isn't right. Abram, you lied to me. Take the consolation prizes anyway and leave and take your wife because I want to be disease-free. It's kind of a good thing. And that's what goes down here, but God has to intervene here because Abraham doesn't even have the courage to stand up and defend his wife. So he's a flawed man, to say the least. He lies. He's very self-centered in that, in that sense. And you might be thinking, well, why would you want to focus, Pastor Gary, on this man's flaws? Here's the reason. Because I want us to look at this story from the standpoint of the reality of who this guy is. He is a flawed, ordinary person like you and like me. I am aware when we look at this story, this is an incredible story, the calling and the blessing of Abraham, that this is a unique, epic story, all right, having to do with the foundation of a nation and raising up of the Jewish people and the Messiah that will come from this man's seed. But having said that, we still can read this from the vantage point of gleaning 
some principles that are intact for us today as a result of this story. And the reason I shared all that stuff from Genesis 12, God exposes it, God exposes the character flaws in Abram's life, is again to take a look and to glean a principle. And here's the first one for those of you who take notes. The fact is that God chooses to use flawed, ordinary people to do his extraordinary work. There's nothing special about Abram here. He's just pagan, living in a pagan town. He doesn't even know God. God reveals himself to him, and God chooses to use him. And God can choose to use any of us because we're all flawed, ordinary people. We have our flaws. We have our problems. We, we have our struggles. And yet God's not looking for p- perfect people who will serve him. God is looking for people who are available, whose hearts are after him. And he will work in a wonderful way to raise up people for his purposes. But he doesn't look for perfect people who are all polished. He looks for flawed, ordinary people just like you and me. The New Testament bears this out as well. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, Paul says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God chooses very flawed, ordinary people. Abram didn't have anything going for him. He was just a man that God providentially selected for his purposes. It's just the sovereignty of God at work here. Jesus talked about it in John 15, 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. There's a sovereign work of God where he begins to choose people and use them for his plans and his purposes. And he did that here with Abram. And it's not that there was anything special about this guy. He was flawed in all his many ways. And then when you look back at the actual calling and blessing here, go to the beginning of chapter 12, what we read earlier, and look at verse 1. Because the Lord speaks to him here, and he says to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And I I love this, because God doesn't really tell Abram exactly where he's supposed to go. He doesn't really give him any details in the directions. He just says, Go. I want you to start walking, and I will guide and direct you along the way. And I love this. Even though I don't prefer it for myself, I love this about the reality of how God works, and we need to embrace this. And what do I mean? You know... um, Sometimes I hear people say to me, Pastor, pray for me. I need clarity on something. And I'm just as guilty. I've asked the Lord, clarity, give me clarity, give me clarity. You know, sometimes I think what we want is clarity when, in fact, what God wants is faith. A lot of times I think we say, Lord, give me clarity, and then I'll have faith. I think what God says to us is, why don't you exercise faith, and then you'll get clarity. Because God doesn't give Abram all this advanced information. He just simply says, I want you to go to a place you've never been. I'm going to call you to go. Now, how does he get there? You know, sometimes I think we kind of complicate the way that God works, and we think that he only works in supernatural ways. He does, but not only. I think there are many ways that God works in very natural means. I think Abram just started walking out the front door of his house, and he followed the natural trade route that is between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in those days, and he goes all the way up to Haran, and he parks it there for a while, gets further instruction, and then he ends up going to Canaan, where God wanted him to go. There was no kind of supernatural illumination here. It was just that Abram was faithful to take one step, and then eventually God would tell him what to do. And we need to understand this about the nature of God. He is high on direction, but God is pretty low on the details. In case you haven't noticed that. You might at times get a burden for something. You get kind of a general calling or you get some kind of an awareness about what God wants you to do. Big picture, direction. 
but then it lacks for the details. And there's generally two reasons why God doesn't always give the details. Number one is because he knows how frail we are and we'd be overwhelmed if he gave us all the details in advance. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You can look back on some things in your life and you realize where you are now and how you got there. And if God had showed you all the details along the way, you would have been overwhelmed. So God often withholds the details and only gives them to us as we need them, not all in advance. The other important thing we need to understand is that if God laid out everything in advance to us and gave us all the details, when would we ever need to exercise faith? What level of trust would ever be developed between us and God? If God just told us everything, gave us all the details in advance, we would just no longer have the need to exercise trust and obedience. And that's what faith is. Abram is a man who's a prototype of faith because he trusted God even though he had no complete detail about the plan of God. He trusted and he obeyed. And he followed God. And sometimes we need to be more people of faith than we are praying for clarity. We'll get the clarity as we trust God with faith. Well, then in verse 2 here, as we continue in this great calling and blessing, verse 2, God says to him, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And notice this, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Notice that, I will make your name great. I will make your name great. I find it interesting because just in the previous chapter, in Genesis chapter 11, one of the things that people were doing wrong when they were building the Tower of Babel was it tells us in Genesis 11.4, so that we might make a name for ourselves. That's one of the reasons that they were building that tower. They wanted to make their name great. And God comes down and destroys the project and scatters them because he changes up the languages. He doesn't want people to make their name great. But then you get to the next chapter in chapter 12 and God determines to make Abram's name great. And what's the difference there? The difference is because in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel was about a group of people who wanted to be great and their pride was the motivator. We want to make a name great for ourselves. They're Babylonians. It's a Tower of Babel, an ancient Babylon. And yet God then turns to a Babylonian, that's what Abram is, living in Ur of the Babylonians, of the Chaldeans, and he says, but I'm going to make your name great. You see, Genesis 11 is about people promoting themselves. It's, it's by way of pride. But in Genesis 12, it's about God making a man's name great. And the reason why God wanted to make Abram's name great is because God wanted to be made great through this man. And the question is, what if God wants to make your name great? Can he do that? What if God chooses to make your name great? Could he do that? The answer is yes, he could do that. Some of you might think, no, 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 God would never make my name great. Well, wait a minute, Christian, that's, that's false piety. Because the fact is God has made names great and he does make names great. But the reason that he does it, it's point number two, is God chooses to make a person's name great so that his name can be made great throughout the earth. The fact is that God will choose to give certain people Just even as he purposed this particular person, Abraham, he will do it in many ways with various people, choosing to give certain people a broader sense of success or influence or name recognition so that God's name can be made great through the name that God makes great. That's the reason that he does this. Paul would say it this way in 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. What's Paul saying there? He's saying wherever we go, whatever we do, we are to spread a fragrance of the knowledge of who Jesus is. 
And what God will often do is he will elevate certain people not to position them for pride's sake, but position them for his name's sake by giving certain people notoriety and name recognition locally, nationally, and globally to make his name great. Now, let me illustrate this. I think, regardless of what you you might think about how well or poorly he plays, if you know anything about football right now, there's a name that is circulating around the NFL that is associated with Jesus. What's that name? Tim Tebow. Who said what? Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is the name everybody's talking about now. He's, he's a godly guy. I remember when uh, first reading about him when he was this rising star freshman at University of Florida. I remember a full-page article that was done in USA Today when he was a freshman. Talked about his background, missionary parents, homeschooled kid. Out, he had to fight for the ability to play football in the public school system when he was in high school. Because those of you who homeschool, you know the deal. You pay your taxes. There should be a, still some privileges of being involved in the sports arena. It was something that was very restricted to homeschool students. They made the, their, their advances through the whole legal system. He was able to play in public high school. Then he was picked up by, uh, was uh, uh, then uh, taken by University of Florida, played football there. But this guy is a, a guy who loves Jesus. Now, you know the criticism that's all circulating is that, well, he wears his religion on his sleeve. Where are you supposed to wear it? Back pocket? <laughs> what? I mean, if you really are about Jesus, you're going to let people know. And I don't think he's doing it in, in this kind of abrasive, hey, look at me. Okay, the guy kneels on the sidelines. He's giving thanks to the Lord. He, he, but every time there's a microphone in front of his face or every time there's an opportunity, guess what Tim Tebow's doing? He's pointing people to Jesus. And God's given him name recognition. And I remember reading when he was a freshman that USA Today article, and I thought to myself, God's going to take him far because God's name is going to be made great through this guy, and he's going to give this guy a great name so that he, God, can be made great. So here he is, first homeschool student ever to be nominated for a Heisman. First college sophomore ever to win the Heisman. What do you think God's up to? I googled Tim Tebow's name. You know how many results came up? 28 million results. 28 million. Go home and Google your name. (laughs) You'll be depressed. How do I know that? Anyway, here's the deal. Whatever platform God gives you, if it's, you know, local, national, global, look, don't underestimate whatever platform God's... Your name is great. You, your name, Mom, is great. You have kids who are precious to the Lord, and your influence to them is a wonderful thing. Don't underestimate or despise, well, what's my platform? It's just whatever God wants to do and where He's positioned each of us. We need to be faithful that whatever that name is, to make His name great... Because everywhere we go, we need to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of who he is. And that's what God does. He makes a name great to make his name great through that individual. And thirdly, when we look into the, into the blessing here, verse 3, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I understand the context here, and let me make it clear. This is a particular messianic passage here having to do with the blessing associated with Messiah and the blessing associated with Israel. If you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. If you curse Israel, you'll be cursed. This is very much attached to that whole thing about the the Jewish race, the nation of Israel, the, the Messiah Jesus, and I get that. But then there's also this principle here in general where God still operates this way, and it's number three. 
that God chooses to bless us so that we might be a blessing. That's God's prerogative. He loves to be generous with His kids. He loves to shower blessing upon His kids. Because as we're blessed, we make Him known when we are a blessing. Now, look, let me just quickly add some words of caution to this because I don't want this to be misunderstood. I know, I'm very aware of the damage that has been done by some TV evangelists and others who have linked the blessings of God with some kind of entitlement to material prosperity. That if you're a Christian, you are entitled and you have a right and God's going to make you wealthy and that's just a part of being a Christian as if to suggest that those who are poor or disadvantaged but love Jesus are somehow out of the will of God and they don't have enough faith. And that kind of prosperity gospel is not an accurate representation of Scripture. That's one end of the spectrum. Having said that, there's not only the prosperity gospel, there's a poverty gospel out there. And there are some people who believe that Really, if you're godly, you should be poor. And if you really want to be spiritual, you should never be successful. And, you know, birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of God had no place to lay His head. And so everybody should be poor and miserable if you really want to be a devoted Christian. That's the other end of the argument. And both extremes are unbiblical. We need to get balanced on this subject. The fact of the matter is God is a blessing God. God loves to bless people. Deuteronomy chapter 8, 18 says, It is the Lord who gives you the ability to make wealth. It is God who does those wonderful things for us. The priestly blessing of Numbers chapter 6 begins, The Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. In Psalm 115, it says, The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord as small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So we need to get balanced on this subject. And the the reality is that God blesses people so that we might be a blessing. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who have an orphan mentality. And by that, I mean kind of the clenched fist. I never had much, so I'm going to grab all I can get. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to keep a clenched hand, and nobody's going to get anything. And God will not bless a clenched hand. What He wants of us is an open hand. Because the more we're generous, the more the open hand receives from God. And then we're generous, and then He blesses, and then we're generous. And because the reality is we live in the wealthiest county in America, we have not only a privilege, but a responsibility to be generous. Because God has blessed us to be a blessing. Now, lest anybody think, wait a minute, maybe this is the pastor's backdoor attempt of trying to say we need to give more and we're not meeting budgets. Let me just quickly say, you can ask any elder, for the last 20 years, every year, we've met budget and exceeded it. This is not an attempt for you to give more money. This is in line with what God says about a principle of being good stewards. The fact is, God blesses so we can be a blessing, so that we can share in the joy of being generous as our Father is. Bless the kingdom. God has given us so much, not to hoard it, But he's blessed us to be a blessing. God took one unsuspecting man, 75 years old, living in Iraq, and said, I choose you for my purposes. You're ordinary, you're flawed, but I'm going to use you. I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. And may God continue to use ordinary, flawed people like ourselves. To whatever degree he wants to, may he give us a platform 
that we would make his name great. And may he bless us that we may be a blessing. This has been another edition of Cornerstone Connection, the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. It's our prayer that this message from the book of Genesis taught by Pastor Gary was a blessing to you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to listen to or watch more messages, you can access all the messages you hear in this broadcast by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll find our entire teaching library covering Genesis to Revelation. If you'd like to add today's teaching to your personal study library, you can do so by logging on to cornerstoneconnection.cc where you'll find Pastor Gary's message available as a free download. The easiest way to obtain today's study is to subscribe to our podcast. Subscribing is simple when you use programs such as iTunes. The podcast is always current and completely free. When you subscribe, you'll always be up to date with the latest messages from Pastor Gary. Again, for more information about our podcast, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study with Pastor Gary's teaching through the book of Genesis. That's next time on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.